0: How refreshing and encouraging it is to open up God's Word with our church family this morning. If you're new to us, my name is Dave Furman. I serve as one of the elders here at Redeemer. And every year or so, we take two or three weeks to look at a different theme in the book of Proverbs. So last week we looked at anger, and today we'll look at anxiety. And I did some reading this week. And in some countries, it's estimated that over half of the residents are on some type of antidepressant or anti-anxiety medicine. There was really no delineation between the rich and the poor, between men and women, between older and younger. But those studies found that anxiety is seen across all ethnic groups, across all ages, across both genders. Anxiety is defined as distress or uneasiness of mind caused by danger or fear of danger or misfortune. It's a mind that's uneasy. None of us want to be anxious, do we? There are no books entitled, The Wonder of Worry, Secrets to Being More and More Anxious and Why It's So Much Fun. There's never been a book written with the title, Anxiety and How I Achieved It, and How You Can Too, in Five Easy Steps. No one wants to be more anxious. But the real reason books like that don't exist is because we're already experts. We know exactly how to be anxious. And we hate it. There are shelves and shelves in bookstores, self-help section that 100% guarantee to make you feel better. And those books often sell well because all of us want out of the suffocating worry in our lives. And they keep coming out with more and more solutions because none of them work. But the Bible gives us the real answer. We'll see that in the book of Proverbs. How do we deal with anxiety? Well, we'll see the answer today. I have one main point this morning, and we'll take it in two sections. Here's the main point. Anxiety destroys you, so trust in God. That's the one overarching point this morning. Anxiety destroys you, so trust in God. Let's take that first half. In part one, anxiety destroys you. There's an old English saying that says, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. I mean, isn't that the truth? Just rocking back and forth, back and forth. You're doing something, but you're not actually moving anywhere. There's a Turkish saying, it says, it's worms that destroy a tree. It's worry that destroys a man. Seems like the world understands a bit about anxiety. It doesn't get you anywhere, and it destroys you. Well, the Bible gives us even further clarity as to the nature and the danger of anxiety. Proverbs chapter 12 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. To be weighed down is synonymous with a crushed spirit. I mean, do you sense this with your anxiety? It's an added burden, even a distraction. You wake up in the morning and your heart is just just heavy. Proverbs 17, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Anxiety dries up the bones. You're slowly withering away when you're worrying. It's a slow and agonizing death. It doesn't just affect your mind. What the Proverbs are saying is it affects your body. It affects your whole self. How about Proverbs 18, verse 14? A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? What's this proverb saying? I mean, sure, disabled, a hurt, And broken body is bad, but who can bear a crushed spirit? See, when you're anxious, you're emotionally paralyzed. There's nothing you can do. How about Proverbs 25? Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. I mean, how can you have control over yourself when your enemy has broken into your head and is rioting in the streets of your mind? That's what fear and anxiety is. It takes over your mind, and there's nothing safe, nothing certain to you. Anxiety destroys you. But why? Why is it so destructive? Well, Because at the root of much of our anxiety is sin. Have you ever considered that? That perhaps your anxious thoughts and the way you pace the floor in your mind as you worry is actually something far more sinister and deadly. Pastor John MacArthur writes Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God, and yet it is a sin that Christians commit perhaps more frequently than any other. And that's concerning. Our worrying and anxiety may not just give us heartburn and indigestion and insomnia. It is rebellion against God. That's a big deal. And so we as Christians, we need to figure out what's going on in our hearts in anxiety. We need to know both. Number one, we need to know what it is that we're anxious about. And then number two, we need to know why we're anxious about those things. So friend, what do you worry about? What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that give you those kind of butterfly feeling in your stomach? I mean, we can't pretend that we're all good in this area. I know for a fact that at times anxiety reigns supreme in our church. It's because I talk to so many of you and I hear your stories even just today, several conversations with you. I know that anxiety and worry and fear is a struggle. It may be the number one struggle in our church right now maybe you worry about what people think about you. It's called the fear of man. It's it's living as if people are really, really big, and God is just itty-bitty. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Holding the opinions of people is more important to you than God. puts you in a snare. You're trapped in your need for approval from them. Trapped in wondering what they'll do next or what they'll think about you next. Well, Ed Welch gives us some great questions to ask ourselves about the fear of man in his book when people are big and God is small. Do you say yes to too many things? Are you over Maybe you're overcommitted and it's hard for you to say no, even when wisdom tells you that you should. If so, maybe you're a people pleaser and you fear man. Do you worry about being exposed as an imposter? You realize, okay, just at some point, everybody's going to figure out that you're not as awesome as they think you are. Do you get easily embarrassed? Does your jealousy of other people motivate you to certain actions? Do you ever lie? I'm not talking about just the the big lies. How about those little white lies, those little, little fibs that you think don't really hurt anybody. But you know, deep down, you're doing and sharing those white lies to make yourself look good in front of someone else or to look better than someone else. Social media is a source of anxiety for many of us. Do you worry about making the best posts so that people will think well of you? Do you get frustrated when certain people don't comment on your posts? I heard someone say recently that when you spend too much time on social media, what you're doing is instead of living in the present, you're living in someone else's past. Instead of living your life, you're living in someone else's Past and those comparisons and losses just breed anxiety in your heart. Teenagers, preteens, you're, for many of you, you're about to start another year of school. Do you worry about what other kids or other students think of you? Does that change the way you act? that change the way you speak? Maybe you give in to crude humor or filthy language or even other actions to impress someone or to fit in. Many of us struggle with the fear of man. For others of us, maybe at the heart of your anxiety is the fear of the future. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can do all the planning that we want, and that's good. It's good as a Christian to plan and to prepare for the future, but the Lord will direct us, and it may be in a whole other direction from what we were planning. But we don't like uncertainty about our lives and uncertainty about our future. We worry about our lack of work. I know many of us don't have jobs right now. How will I provide for my family? How will I pay my next bill, my next rent check? What about the health tests I'm going through? Will I have any friends in my next school year? Will I get into the uni that I want to go to? Will I have enough money for retirement? Will I ever get married? Will I ever have kids? And then once you have kids, you worry about them. Will your kids be healthy? Will they do well in school? Will they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Will they marry someone well? Will they have kids? And so on. Or maybe your worries aren't that far in the future. Maybe your worries and anxieties just next week. You don't know how you're going to face your unfair boss on Sunday. Maybe you just wonder, I'm so tired. How can I make it through another day? Some of us are afraid of failure. Friend, what are you anxious about? We have to name it and claim it if we're going to defeat it. The first step in dealing with our anxiety is to say, I have anxiety, and here's what I'm anxious about. But then, as Christians, we have to take it one step further and we have to see why are we anxious about those things. Why do we get preoccupied with those specific matters? Because many of us have family issues, many of us have financial issues, but we're not all worried about them in the same way. Why are you anxious? Well, it's not a lack of money that makes you anxious, but it May be your greedy heart that makes you anxious, or it may be that you're not trusting God with your well-being that makes you anxious. It's not your job that makes you anxious. It's what you're afraid of at your job that brings anxiety, perhaps fear of losing your job, or fear of failing to impress your boss that makes you anxious. At a foundational level, you and I are anxious because we're not in control. I mean, if we could just have everything the way we want it to be, if we could just plan out our life and then have it all come true, we wouldn't be anxious, would we? At the root of our anxiety is pride. Your anxiety problem is actually a pride problem. You believe you know better than God as to how your life should go. And anxiety wrecks your heart because, friend, you and I, we weren't meant to be God. God. You weren't meant to decide how your life should go. Anxiety wants to be God, but it lacks the wisdom or the power or the knowledge to follow through with what's required. Counselor David Powlison writes this about anxiety. Worriers act as if they might be able to control the uncontrollable. Central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. Anxiety and control are two sides of the same coin, When we can't control something, we worry about it. Anxiety means we're occupying ourselves with things above our pay grade. We consume consume ourselves with things too great for us. It's like an entry-level employee who just got a job and begins to worry about the decisions of their manager. Or even maybe higher up, an entry-level employee worrying about the decisions of the CEO. A person maybe you never even are able to talk to, but you worry anyway. And it's because you're not the one in control. Well, at the heart of our anxiety is pride, because we want to be in control instead of God. Anxiety and worry are rebellion against the God of the universe. And I say that this morning as one who would probably say that my chief sin or chief struggle, chief issue is anxiety and worry. It's an issue for me, I'm an anxious person, and many of you are anxious people. We need help, don't we? We need to trust the God who can calm our hearts. Anxiety destroys you, so trust in God. That's the second point, second part of our main point this morning, if you're taking notes. We've seen how anger destroys us. Well, in part two, friend, trust in God. Trust in God. We need to trust in the God who can calm our hearts. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Here are key verses in the book of Proverbs as to how to deal with our anxiety. We trust the Lord. Trusting in the Lord means distrusting yourself. It means giving God highest allegiance for what happens in your life. To trust God with all of your heart means a total person, means every bit of you, all of you, is committed and entrusting yourself to God's care, your mind, your body, everything. So you worry about money, and you might not have any money right now, and that sounds bad, but what God says is, friend, lean not on your own understanding. He says, Look at the lilies of the field. I've clothed all of them. Look at the birds in the air. I have fed all of them. I'll take care of you. Friend, we need to acknowledge Him. We need to acknowledge God. We need to be aware of Him. We need to look to Him. How often in our anxiety do we take our eyes off of God and merely onto our ever-changing circumstances? We look at those instead. The phrase acknowledge him in those verses actually means more than a simple awareness, but to be in fellowship with God. It's to orient your entire life around him. And we do this by fear, but it's a different kind of fear. Time and time again, the Proverbs, over and over again, the Proverbs tell us that we show our trust in God by fearing him. We fight one fear with another fear. And the best way to fight fear isn't to try to defeat it, but to find a greater fear, something uh, something you care about more than when people think about you. Something you care about more than your ever-changing circumstances. Now, The way you fight the fear of man, the fear of, of failure, and the fear of the future is by fearing the Lord. See, to fear the Lord is to care most about what he thinks. It's to consider him for how great he is as the Lord of the universe and to center your life around what pleases him with a holy reverence and awe. The most radical treatment for your anxiety is to see God as bigger than people, to see God as your creator, to see God as the ruler of the universe. And the Proverbs are just full, they're replete with this idea of fearing God. I mean, listen to just a few of them, one after another. Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Fearing God gives life fearing the Lord, hates evil, turns it away. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom because unless you fear the Lord, nothing else will come into place. Now, when we fear people, we use them. We need them to make us feel good about ourselves. When we fear God, we're delighting in Him and getting our security and significance in the one that we were created to serve and enjoy. We can grow in our fear of God by considering who God is in the scriptures. There is so much about our lives that we are uncertain about. But there are some things that we are quite certain about. Listen to these promises of God. Proverbs 16. Friend, God is in control over your life. Isn't that an encouraging thought this morning? The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or Proverbs 16. Friend, God has a purpose for your life. This is so hopeful. Your life is not an accident. Each and every one of us in this room here, our lives were not random. They were not an accident. God has a purpose for your life. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. How about Proverbs 15? God hears our prayers. You I know, mean, how incredible is that for us to think that as children of God here in this room and then across the entire world, that God hears each and every one of our individual prayers. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Or how about Proverbs 10, verse 3, God will provide for his people. We know for a fact that God will provide for his people. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger. Oh friend, the Lord will take care of you. Jesus says the same things as he says, as we read here in the book of Proverbs. Jesus says to stop worrying. He says in Luke chapter 12, he says, Friend, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Now, isn't that incredibly freeing as a Christian? Because if we thought that somehow our anxiety or our worry would somehow add something to our life, or even add a single day to our life, then we would maybe think about being worried a bit or think about being anxious. But Jesus says, hey, here's a freeing thought. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single 60 minutes to your life? He says, don't worry, there's nothing good that comes from it. God tells us people not to worry because He takes care of us. It's so freeing. It's an exhilarating thought. Fellow believer, God takes care of your sins. They're as far as the east is from the west. Your sins are forgiven, and the final word for your life is no longer death. You get everlasting joy. Heaven awaits. No pain, no conflict, no turmoil, no tears, no suffering, no disease. And until then and beyond, God is in control over every single aspect of your life. All of it. The big things and the little things. Nothing escapes his divine gaze. Nothing escapes his divine control. He knows every single hair on your head. He knows the steps that you'll take tomorrow. He knows your hurts. He knows your worries. And he will keep you until the end. Now, trusting God is looking to our great God for all things. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to do that? Jesus models this for us. He models this for us in uh, his model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He starts it with the phrase, our Father. He starts it with Father, this Aramaic term which was Abba. It's a unique term. It was striking and it was an unparalleled term. The Jews wouldn't have talked to God in that way. It was an extremely intimate way of addressing God. Well, the essence of the Lord's Prayer, the very beginning, the central piece of the Lord's Prayer isn't give me this stuff or forgive me here or do this. It was our Father. It was a centered prayer on who God is. Now, first comes orientation. It's an awakening in our hearts to the fact that in Christ, the cosmic Lord of the universe is our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be His name. His name is sacred. It's a prayer that's centered on Him. And I know for many of us, we struggle in prayer. But in our search To trust God and fight anxiety, prayer is our best friend. I've heard it often said that it's impossible to both pray and worry at the same time. This is why Paul writes in the book of Philippians, Do not be anxious in anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. Now let me say this about prayer. The key to growing in prayer is not to focus on prayer. It's not to read a hundred new books about prayer this week. It's not to be consumed with prayer or asking and trying to figure out the great tips for having a better prayer life. let me say this about prayer, and I learned this, and it really affected my heart on my first trip to India several years ago. I went to northern India to Lucknow, and I loved it. The Christians there were wonderful it was beautiful and i had the privilege of enjoying the world famous tunday kebab it literally melted in my mouth it was so good we loved the time there i think what was most shocking in my first trip to india was the driving never been somewhere with the bicycles and the people and the cars and the trucks And the animals all share one space, but we did. And my driver and my friend, Shaker, was was wonderful. He was like the superhero, just driving through the town, avoiding the rickshaws and avoiding the people and the animals. At one point, I thought he was literally going to drive up the side of the road like Spider-Man. It was an incredible move. But probably the most disturbing uh, time was at one point we were driving, he got around the cars to where we were going, and then he slammed on the brakes as hard as he could. And my eyes were closed out of fear and out of terror. And then when I finally opened my eyes, standing there, what felt like one quarter of a centimeter away from my face was a big, fat, hairy, black, scary cow, just staring at me as if to welcome me to incredible India. Well, as I thought about this, I realized and then saw a live illustration run right in front of me that the key to driving isn't thinking about driving. It isn't thinking about the car that you're driving. It's not thinking about the intricacies of how the engine is made or thinking about the steering wheel or thinking about the gear shift or thinking about the laws of the land or if this is legal or illegal when you're driving. It's not thinking about those things at all. But the key to driving is looking at the road and staring at the road and trying not to hit anyone or anything or any how and so i think it is with prayer as we try to improve our prayer life and trust god in prayer there are many theories floating around about prayer we can obsess about 50 ways to improve our prayers we can get an app on our phone that reminds us about how to pray or gives us good things to pray about some of those things might be okay but if we just stop there we'll get stuck in our prayer lives instead of getting fixated on those things friend just look at god Concentrate on God. He's the road. Get to know Him as Father. Get to know Him as our gracious and loving and available Father. Think about the glorious attributes of God. Read the Scriptures and be reminded that He is all-powerful, that He is all-knowing, that He is all-wonderful, that He is all-glorious, that He is all-loving towards you, Christian. Read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, and be mesmerized by the attributes of God. Be wowed by his glory and greatness. Look to God. He is the road. Friends, God knows what's going on in your life. Of course, we want to share our hearts with God, but data entry isn't the main point of prayer. We're not telling God anything he doesn't already know. Now, prayer, most foundationally, is about remembering who God is as we pray. It's reminding ourselves of the truth of Scripture and about what it says about our Savior. It's adoring Him and He will calm our hearts. And friends, we can do this because Jesus faced and conquered anxiety for us. Ironically, it took God Himself, Jesus, God in the flesh to come down from heaven to earth to show us how not to be like God. Jesus was the first person who didn't seek to live life independently. He was in fellowship with God the Father 100% of the time. And when he knew that the cross was coming, he faced anxiety head on. Luke chapter 22 says, And Jesus withdrew from the disciples about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done." And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And right in the face of great anxiety, Jesus exhibited perfect trust. Even though there were difficult moments ahead, it was so stressful. His sweat, the Savior's sweat became like Blood, but facing anxiety head on, he trusted God completely so that you and I could be free from anxiety. As the first man, Adam, turned away from God, the Father, in a garden, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the God-man, turned to the Father there in the garden of Gethsemane. Adam disobeyed God's instructions about a tree. Jesus, facing the agony of another tree, the cross, obeyed perfectly. Jesus lived a perfect life. At the end of his life, he performed the greatest act of obedience in all of history. He put fear to death forever by taking our sin, taking our curse on that cross. Oh, Redeemer Church of Dubai, if he didn't abandon you in that garden, why would you think he'd abandon you today? Fellow Christian, when life doesn't make sense and worry threatens to overtake you, remember that God the Father sent His Son to die for you. If you're anxious in the darkness of night, remember that Jesus Christ faced that same dark night and He sweat drops of blood in obedience for you. If you're afraid, remember that God loves you so much that He's told you what the future holds. You know your final destiny, heaven awaits you, a place where you won't worry if you have cancer, a land that you won't worry about debt, a place where all relationships are healthy because you won't care, you won't worry, you won't be consumed with what another person thinks about you because you'll be fully secure in what God thinks about you. If you're exhausted, find rest in Christ. If your boss is mean, find significance in Christ. If your pain is mind-numbing, remember the sacrifice of Christ. If you're lonely, remember the fellowship that you have in Christ Jesus. If you get nervous, you have those butterflies fluttering in your stomach as you try to fall asleep, cast your anxiety on Jesus because He cares for you. And friend, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus... He is the only way to calm your anxious heart. The only way to have perfect peace is to trust in Him with your life, first for salvation and then each and every day afterwards. Now each of us has reason to worry if we're not saved by God. If you don't know God, you have reason to be anxious. But the Bible says that even the best person deserves death and judgment for living their lives apart from God. It's the ultimate act of pride. It's rebellion against the Creator. It's telling Him you don't need Him. But friend, I have good news to cure your anxiety and worry problem, and even more so, your sin problem. It's that though all of us deserve death and judgment, Jesus Christ, the God-man, went to that cross. It wasn't just the earthly end to His life. It was a monumental act where He took upon Himself the sins of His people. He traded places with us. We should have been there on the cross, but instead of us, Jesus traded places with us. He became our substitute. It was the greatest exchange in all of history. Friend, he was your substitute if you would repent of your sin and trust in him to save you. And the cure for your anxiety is trusting in the anxiety-defeating Savior who faced anxiety so that he could bring you and I peace. Oh, my weary friend, stop trying to find peace in this world. You'll never find it. You'll never get there. Instead, look to Jesus. He's the road. Look to Him. Trust in this God with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And you'll find peace like a river will attendeth your way. And you'll find that whatever your lot that you'll be able to stand and say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need you. We are an anxious people. We worry about today, we worry about tomorrow, we worry about the future. We fear people. And it's far too easy for us to get entangled in our daily pressures and earthly matters and to forget about you and to neglect prayer. It's not natural for our flesh to trust you. Oh, even now, even as we sit here in this room, would you break our independence and cause us to lean not on our own understandings, but would we acknowledge you, our Savior and our God? Would we acknowledge you in all things? And would we trust you with all of our lives? Would Redeemer Church of Dubai be characterized by a faith and by a hope and by a trust in you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.